We'll take our text this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I don't think it would surprise anybody here to find out we have an adversary. We have an enemy. doesn't matter whether you're a sinner or a saint, whether you're Christian, saved, whether you're godless. We have a common enemy. His goals, his designs are the same for every one of us. He wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We know this adversary goes by other names as well. He's called a liar, a serpent, deceiver, accuser of the brethren, destroyer. And here in this verse, it refers to him as a roaring lion. He's a formidable foe for sure. And you might wonder, how can we defeat such an enemy? Well, one way we do that is by recognizing his tactics. Our scripture reading, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible about how the king of Syria uh, moved against the uh, king of Israel and wanted to make war with him. And every time he would come up with a plan, God would reveal it to the prophet Elisha, who would go and tell the king of Israel. And so God's people were able to escape being entrapped by the enemy because of the plans that God let them know ahead of time what was going to happen. Well, God may not operate in exactly the same way today, but he does give us some promises in 2 Corinthians 2.11. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The Lord lets us know what the devil's up to. You know, the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that as a child of God, we're guaranteed the victory. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. If we're saved, if we've been born again, and if we're serving the Lord faithfully, God has given us some wonderful promises for victory. It says we are more than conquerors, through him that loved us. And there's the key. Through him that loved us, speaking about Christ, we're more than conquerors. It tells us nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, there's the key. We must be in Christ Jesus. Jesus must be in us. But we have the victory. And also Jesus said, they that endure to the end shall be saved. So we know who wins in this battle. It's the victorious Christian. One of the ways we do that is that the Lord lets us know what the enemy's tactics are. And I thought with God's help this morning, we'll look at three of his devices. We'll look at discouragement, doubt, and procrastination. These are three that I think the devil has tried to employ since the beginning of time. The word discouragement means to deprive of courage or to dishearten. This is probably one of his oldest tactics. You might wonder, when is Satan most likely to try to discourage somebody? 
Well, I thought about that, and I realized there's usually two times, either right before a wonderful spiritual victory or immediately following a spiritual victory. The devil wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, I was thinking about the testimony of Brother Alan Crabtree. And he said as a boy, he prayed a prayer to the Lord one day, and he told God if he would keep his family together, that when he turned 21 years of age, he would give him his life, his uh, home there. His mom and dad were about ready to split up. So God heard that prayer. And he said he never got away from that promise that he had made the Lord as a child. He said while in the army, he reached the age of 21, and he realized it was time for him to keep that vow that he had made to the Lord. So he went to a mission hall in Port Townsend, close by the base where he was stationed, and he said he went in and opened up a Bible, and a voice told him, you need to go outside in the woods by yourself and get alone with the Lord and pray. So he said he determined to do that, and he wanted to turn his back on sin, and he made some consecrations to the Lord, and he said as he got out there in the woods, he stepped off the trail, and he turned an old stump of wood into his altar, and he began to make these consecrations to the Lord. But the thought came, he says, what if I don't get back in time for roll call? Well, that was the old enemy trying to discourage him, but the Lord just whispered and said, I'll take care of that. Well, the next thought that came was, well, what if I have to pray all night in these woods? And again, the other voice just said, you just keep praying. You seek me. It's worth it at any cost. So he determined to do that. And it wasn't but within a few minutes' time. You know what? His prayer reached heaven. The Lord wonderfully saved him. He said, God made a change in his heart that day that came over his entire being. He could never forget that. And as soon as he was done praying and he stepped out onto that trail to head back to camp, guess who was there? The old devil. And he said, you didn't get anything. And Brother Allen said, oh, yes, I did. Well, just a little while later, the devil came along and said, well, you'll never keep it. And Brother Allen said, aha, so you admit I got it. He wasn't going to be discouraged. But the devil won't give up before or after. A wonderful victory. But that's his goal. He wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, it's been said for every valley, there's usually a corresponding mountaintop. And that's true. You know, spiritually, valleys are great for views and inspiration. But it's down in the valley where that fruit is grown. It's in the valleys of our lives often that the Lord will teach us patience and perseverance and trust. And it's during those valley experiences uh, when maybe we've been seeking something for a long time, the enemy will be there to try to discourage us, but it's often there that our faith is grown and we learn to trust and to depend on the Lord. That's why God says, Be ye not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap, if ye faint not. Psalms 27.14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, just the opposite of discouragement. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, often it's during those prolonged periods of waiting on the Lord that we can get discouraged. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been praying for something for a long time and 
Maybe it even seems like the answers aren't any closer than they ever were. You know what? Don't get discouraged. Wait on the Lord. I was thinking of a story that I came across several years ago about a man by the name of Roger Sims. This took place several years ago, but he'd just been discharged from the service and he was hitchhiking home. He lived just outside of the Chicago area. And as he was hitchhiking a ride there, he said a big luxury automobile, brand new, pulled up on the side of the road to offer him a ride. And he was a little surprised that somebody of that stature would offer a hitchhiker a ride, but he said he climbed in the front seat and he was greeted by a very distinguished, well-to-do looking older gentleman. And the man introduced himself, said his name was Hanover, and he told him I own a business in Chicago, and that's where my home is. And then he asked this man, Roger, where he was headed. He found out, well, it was right on the way, so he offered to take him all the way home. And as they were traveling in the car, exchanging world life histories, Roger was a Christian, and he felt compelled by the Spirit of the Lord to say something to this man about his soul, He said the thought of trying to witness to a very successful-looking businessman was quite intimidating. But as they got closer to where he was going to be let off, he finally just dove in and he said, Mr. Hanover, I want to tell you something very important. And he told him about Jesus. He explained God's plan of salvation, uh, shared his own testimony with this man and asked him, would you like to pray and ask Jesus into your heart? Well, he said a very strange thing happened. He said the man pulled the car over on the side of the road. And at first he thought, oh, great, he's going to throw me out of the car. But the man just leaned his head on the steering wheel and he acknowledged that he wanted to pray. And as he began to pray, he began to weep. And this man, Roger, prayed with uh, this older businessman and he prayed through to real salvation right there on the side of the road. And as they traveled on, right before he dropped them off, he just told them, he said, I want to thank you for what you did today. He said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me in my entire life, and I'll never forget it. Well, fast forward five years. Roger got married and started a family of his own, and he had a business trip to make one day to the city of Chicago, and he thought, you know, I'm going to look up Mr. Hanover to see how he's doing, and So he found the building. Sure enough, it said Hanover Enterprises, and it was a very impressive-looking building. And he walked in and asked the secretary to speak to Mr. Hanover. And she told him, well, you can't speak to him, but I can uh, introduce you to his his wife. So he said he was shown into a very poshly decorated office and greeted by a a woman in her 50s, a very uh, successful-looking businesswoman who introduced herself as... Mrs. Hanover, and she asked him, did you know my husband? So he told her about the kindness that he had been shown by her husband that day, and she asked what day that happened to be, and he told her, and she asked him, did uh, anything unusual happen in the car that day? And of course he started to think maybe this had been a cause of marital conflict, and he wasn't sure what to say, but the Lord just prompted him again to be honest, so he just told her, he said, Mrs. Hanover, That day in the car, your husband pulled over on the side of the road, and I prayed with him, and he was saved, miraculously saved that day. And as he was telling her this story, she began to weep. And after several minutes, she finally regained enough composure to explain what happened. She said, I grew up in a Christian home, and for many years I was a Christian. 
but my husband was not. She said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for many years, and I believe God would save him. But just after he let you out of his car on May 7th, he passed away in a terrible head-on collision. He never arrived home, and I thought God had not kept his promise, and I stopped living for the Lord five years ago because I became discouraged, and I blamed the Lord for not keeping his word. What a shock to find out the day she got discouraged and gave up was the very day the Lord answered her prayer. You know, we may not realize the impact our prayers have on others or our testimony this side of heaven, but we don't want to be weary and well-doing. It tells us uh, we want to continue. We want to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If the devil's trying to discourage you. Hang on. Keep praying. God hears those prayers. He certainly knows every need. You know, if Satan can't use discouragement, he has another tactic. He likes to try to use doubt. To doubt means to call into question the truth of something or an uncertainty. Doubt means to lack confidence in or to distrust. This was the first tactic Satan used on Eve in the garden. If you think about it, discouragement would not have worked on Eve. They had nothing to be discouraged about. They lived in paradise. Everything was perfect. No money problems, no neighbor problems. Everything was great. They didn't have to toil or labor. So Satan knew that wouldn't work. But you know, Satan is subtle. So... He decided to try the tactic of doubt. You know, often Satan does this. Again, Satan is subtle. He's sneaky. We know he's a deceiver. He knows that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he tries to undermine and change God's word. He tries to change what God's word says. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, We read two statements. Genesis 3.1, this is what Satan said. He said, half God said. And in verse 3, we read the words, God hath said. Did you catch the difference? They sound almost the same. Same three words. But by just changing the order of a couple words, The whole meaning was changed. Satan changed a statement into a question. And he does the same today. The devil will put a question mark where there should be a period. But he does it by just subtly changing God's word, you know, in order to continue to sow doubt. He added one word to what God had said. Genesis 2.17, God said, Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, Thou shalt surely die. Those were God's words. What did Satan say? Verse 4, ye shall not surely die. Took God's words and just added one word of his own. But by simply adding one word, he was able to discredit what God said and sow doubt in the mind of Eve. And the devil does that today. He tries to take God's word and redefine it, change it just a little bit. To make it mean something different. Don't tamper with the Word of God. It's forever settled in heaven. It means what it says, and it won't change. But you know, I think the moment Eve was really defeated 
was when she doubted the goodness of God. Satan wasn't going to try to get her to doubt God's existence. That would have been foolish. But he got her to doubt God's goodness. Question the goodness of God. In Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5, Again, ye shall not surely die. This is what Satan said. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God's learning good and evil. So again, he sowed some doubt in Eve's mind. If God were really good, why would he withhold anything from you? Why would he set up these rules and these parameters for you to follow? If God really cared, he'd let you have whatever he wanted. So he got her to doubt the goodness of God. That's the worst thing we can do. Because when you start to doubt his goodness, it opens the door for all kinds of other things. Fear and other things. Unbelief. You know, when you doubt God's goodness, you Doubt God's very nature, the essence of who He is. And of course, that could quickly lead to complete unbelief. So we want to make sure we don't want to give in to those temptations to doubt God or to doubt God's goodness. Even if we don't understand what God is doing, we can trust that God is good. You know, how do we fight against doubts? Well, we can do what Peter did. In Matthew 14, we read the account of the disciples out on a boat at night. And we know a storm arose, and they became fearful and afraid. And Jesus appeared to them on the water, and he bid Peter to come. So what did Peter do? He stepped out of the boat, and he was walking toward Jesus. You know, he was doing the impossible, something he had never done before. No one else had ever done that. I remember Brother Sace preached a sermon years ago in California, and he said he was inspired by this example. He was out fishing in a boat one day, and he decided to try it. But I know that it was the Lord bidding him to come, so he sank. But he had the faith to try it. Well, Peter did. He stepped out, and you know what? He was actually doing the impossible. What went wrong? It said he saw the wind boisterous and was afraid, And that's when he began to sink. He got his eyes off Jesus and onto himself and his circumstances. If you think about this, faith enabled Peter to walk towards Jesus in spite of the circumstances. Doubt caused him to begin to sink because of the circumstances. What changed for Peter? His circumstances didn't change. There were still the wind and the waves and the sea, but his focus changed. He got his eyes off the Lord and onto the things around him, his circumstances. And in that one moment of doubt, you know what? The storms and the wind became bigger in Peter's mind than the Lord was. But it was only for a moment. Peter did the right thing. He quickly got his eyes back on Jesus, and he just cried out, Lord, save me from the depths of his heart. And it said immediately the Lord was there to rescue him. Jesus didn't leave him floundering around in the water or treading water. He immediately rescued him because he got his eyes back on the Lord. When we encounter doubts, that's what we want to do. We want to look to Jesus and say, Lord, help me, save me, deliver me from these doubts. We want to do that as quickly as possible. Because prolonged doubt can lead to unbelief. You know, if Peter had continued to focus on the waves and the wind and the storm, uh, those waves would have swallowed him up, but he didn't. He got his eyes back on Jesus. And there's a wonderful promise 
You can get a hold of this during times of doubt. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That's a wonderful promise. The Lord will help you. He'll give you the grace and the strength. Well, one other tactic the devil loves, and that's procrastination. That means to put off intentionally something that should be done immediately. You know, Satan has no problem with people who intend to get saved someday. There's no problem with that because procrastination leads to something else the devil loves, and that is good intentions. There's an old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, good intentions, it's kind of like virtue signaling. It can make an individual feel really good about himself without even having to take any action to change. He just decides, well, I meant to do it, so I guess in their mind that's almost like doing it, but it's not the same thing at all. The Lord lets us know what he thinks about good intentions. James 4, 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So we want to understand that good intentions are not good enough. They lead to other things like procrastination, but really delayed obedience is the same as disobedience. I thought of another story about a man named Aaron Burr. He was the third vice president of the United States. And it says he was a brilliant student. And at 19 years of age, he had uh, completed courses at Princeton University. And back a few hundred years ago, believe it or not, all of our college and uh, schools of higher learning were Christian institutions. Well, on Princeton, a revival happened to break out. And it says Aaron was deeply convicted. So he went to one of his teachers and told him about his dilemma. And the teacher wisely gave him the Bible. And he said, go back to your dorm room and get this settled with the Lord on your knees. Well, he tried to shake off this conviction and he went back to his dorm room. But rather than pray and call out to the Lord, he said, God, if you leave me alone... I promise to leave you alone. It says later, Aaron said that it was at that moment that all conviction left him. Years later, a good friend tried to introduce him to the Lord, but he broke out in a cold sweat, and he recounted how at the age of 19 he asked God to let him alone. He said it was then that he said, I never had one slight feeling ever since that I should become a child of God. What a sad place to find a person, to, for someone to find themselves. You know, so many have this idea that they can put the Lord off. Somehow they can wait. They can get saved when they want to. You know when you'll get saved? You'll get saved when the Spirit of the Lord draws you. And only then. And how foolish it is to be presumptuous and to put off what God says you need to take care of today. Someday is not a day of the week. Someday is that day that never seems to come. People are in a lost eternity because they waited for that someday. 
Jesus tells us in his word, God's word tells us in Hebrews 3.15, it says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. 2 Corinthians 6.2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If the Lord is knocking on your heart, don't put him off. Yield yourself to the Lord. Give your life to Jesus and the Lord will help you. He'll save you. He'll deliver you. But that's one of the most foolish things you can do is to procrastinate and put off what the Lord says you should take care of today. You know, we know what his tactics are. We've understood. We've realized what he's up to. Well, how do we fight against these things? Well, God, word, word of God tells us that too in James chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. We'll, re, we'll close with these verses. It says that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You know, God resists the proud because the proud resist God. The proud in their own Understanding resist the truths in God's word in their own stubbornness and their own stubborn will. They uh, resist the commandments and the laws of the Lord and in their procrastination, they resist the grace and the mercy of the Lord. So we understand he resists the proud, but it says he gives grace unto the humble. So we need to humble ourselves. We recognize our need of the Lord. We call out to the Lord. God will help us, but we humble ourselves. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So often the proud get that reversed. They submit to the devil, and they resist the Lord. But it's saying here just the opposite. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That means to yield, to surrender, to give up, to relinquish control to the Lord. That's what it means to submit to the Lord. It says resist the devil. How do we resist him? By being steadfast in the faith. And it says draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. That means to draw near to God. You have an opportunity to do that this morning. Around these altars of prayer, drop your knees where you are if you've been struggling Remember, God has promised us the victory. And one more promise, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. There's no room for defeat in the life of a Christian. God has promised you victory and grace, help to sustain you in your time of need. Whatever you need this morning, you can receive from the Lord today. If you're not saved, I would encourage you, yield your life to the Lord. You need to be sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, strengthened for uh, tomorrow or next week. God will help you. He'll meet you here at these altars. Let's stand and sing. The song is 483.